God is light. God is goodness. God is pure goodness. There is no darkness in him. John uses the first part of his first letter to tell his people that we've touched Jesus, we saw Jesus, we heard Jesus, we experienced Jesus in every possible way. And I'm going to now summarize his entire ministry. This is what John says to the fellow Christians. I'm going to summarize his entire ministry in three words. God is light. And he adds, in him there is no darkness at all. None. There's no blemish. There's no fault. There's no spot. There's no stain. There's nothing. Now, we live in a world that hates God. We live in a world that tells us that there is stain in God. And so we tend to fall into that trap and, and, and believe it. We tend to say, oh, well, yeah, he's got some problems, but I love him. God, God, God is good. And I know, I know people have trouble with him and you try to work with people. Let's see. And, and people always have these challenges. And the best answer to these challenges is, let's, let's look at what the Bible says. Let's, let's, let's see who this God is. Because what's happened is the world has given us a God that is not the God of the Bible. And we, who don't read the Bible anymore, go, okay, uh, let me see if I can answer that question. Instead of, let's go find out what the Bible actually says about God. And then the parts that are tough, let's wrestle with them. Let's also use the cross-references and go find the other passages of Scripture that explain the difficult passages of Scripture. And let's try to figure it out. God is light. God is pure goodness. He made everything good. Now, he did allow things to go bad because he uses sin sinlessly. He allowed us to fall into sin. That's not a bad thing because we um, have to go through darkness to get to light on the other side. He did not create evil, but he allowed evil to happen. And that's not a bad thing. It sounds bad because we're just like, oh, we're living in this evil world. This is a horrible place. I don't, I don't want to live here anymore. But as we see things work out, we see that God allows things to happen for our good. Nietzsche said, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. That is your atheist version of it. But God says, that which does not kill us makes us more sanctified. That which does not um, destroy us, that which does not bring us down into the depths will bring us out on the other side a better created creature than what would have happened if we had never sinned. Why did God allow sin? Well, he didn't want a bunch of automatons walking around. He wanted people who had experienced darkness. We have darkness. He doesn't. God is light. We have darkness. James, reading this book to my little ones in, in Bible reading, and this, he, he explains it even in more detail. 
He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. We tempt ourselves because we have darkness. God does not tempt us because he is light. He is good. The good. He is love. Now, we have in the Lord's Prayer, we read together, lead us not in temptation. Well, does that, that implies that God can lead us into temptation. It it's actually means, when we take it in this context, prevent myself from tempting myself. Please clear out the sin that is in my life that is going to tempt me. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. When, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, from the light, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That's James's way of saying, in him there is no darkness at all. There is no variation. There's not even a tiny shadow in the perfect light. We are sinful. We can't stand in his presence because we are sinful. We need a way to cleanse us so that we can stand in his presence. Now, this God is light is natural revelation, even though it's in the Bible. It's something that we can figure out for ourselves, even without the Bible. We go out into nature. We see the natural revelation. We say there's no way, no way that any of this happened by chance. Order never comes out of chaos. Never. I'll repeat that. Order never comes out of chaos. That breaks all physical laws. Something had to organize the chaos. You go out into the natural world, you see the variation. You see the diversity of nature. And you say, this has a cause. This has a design. This has a mind behind it. We get that from natural world. Now, what happens is we're sinful. We have darkness in us because of the fall. We have sin. And so what we do is we then try to bury God. We see the goodness of God. And we two things. one of two things will happen. We're either reminded of our sinfulness. We talked about this last week. We're either, we see the glory of God. We're just like, I am not worthy to even be in your presence. We, we, we looked last week at four different cases where a prophet or an apostle experienced the glory of God and the first thing they do is fall on their faces. I, I, I can't look, turn away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That's what Peter said. That's one of the things we do. The other thing we do is we say we start assigning our darkness to God. We say, oh God, is perfect, because look, nature isn't perfect. 
there's inconsistencies, there's flaws. So now I'm going to assign this darkness to God. Or we come up with other gods. We come up with idols. We're idolaters, idolaters by nature. And so we come up with lowercase g, plural, gods. And that's what we've done since the beginning of history, is we start assigning gods. Well, the reason there was a storm this day was because we didn't appease the storm god. And so now we've got to do all these things to appease the storm god so that it doesn't rain next time, or it does rain, or it doesn't, you know, lightning doesn't strike the crops and set it up into flame and all that. And so we start making lowercase g multiple gods. Now, there are devils. There are fallen angels. And they're just tickled pink to set, step into that role. Yes, here I am. I'm your lowercase g gods. And they'll start wreaking havoc with us and leading us into temptation. Leading us by our own lusts into temptation. But in God, there is no variance. Now, we don't just have natural revelation because when you get to natural revelation, you do reach a wall. You can, you can figure out that there is a God and that you won't have any excuse when you stand before him and say, I didn't know you were there. No, all you had to do was go outside and you know I'm here. But we don't have the details. We, don't, we, we, we can figure out that there's a God. We can figure out that there's a problem with sin and the fall and things aren't what they're supposed to be. And that's, that's one of the things. We don't just look at fall in the fallen world and say, well, that's normal. We said, this is not normal. Maybe just in our bones, we know it. Our conscience screams to us saying, this is not right. And so we figure out, well, if he's a good God, he must have come up with a solution to this problem. And so we don't know what it is without specific revelation, without special revelation, this, the Bible. And at the time of Jesus, his words and the prophets, we know that there must be something, but we just don't know what it is. But this is special revelation. And, and it tells us how to respond to the special revelation. This is what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, be imitators of God. Now, you've seen the light. You've seen the pureness of the light. Imitate that light as beloved children. Because what do children do? Children imitate their parents. Children see what their parents do, and they try to be like their parents. Sometimes that's not good. <laughs> Sometimes that is good. Especially when a child has both a mother and a father. They can see how the different variances and how they work interact together. And so... We have children trying to imitate their father. We have some children that like, to, like the same movies as dad does and like the same music as dad does, and some that don't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we do. We try to imitate the, the one that we, is above us. And it says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So to imitate God is to imitate his light, to imitate his love. And the kind of love, and we've talked about this in our Bible study, the kind of love we're talking about is the self-sacrificial love. The love where you're laying down your life for your friends, for your family, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
for the people that mean the money, and even for your enemies, when those situations come up. We lay down our life for them, too. That is the, as it says in the Greek, the agape love, the self-sacrificial love, the, the love that only meant charity and, and that nobody cared about. We're reading with, with Anna, my oldest, we're reading about how the world was before Christianity. We just assumed the world was the same way because we live in a post-Christian society. Christianity has happened. And we live, we live in a Christian society, but it's rapidly becoming a post-Christian society where people are just denying that Christianity has any influence. But everything good that has happened in this world is due to, due to Christianity. And we're reading example after example of that in, in many historical documents. And it's hard to believe that before, before Christianity, Christian, Christians were the forefront of stopping people from exposing their children to the elements when they didn't want them. Oh, it's a girl. Just put it outside until it dies. And, we, and that's so alien to us because nobody does that. I mean, there are people in the third world probably doing that. But nobody that we know about does that. So we see that the world was in a really dark place. Sick people? We're, Christians were the ones that built hospitals. That had that this medical attention for everyone. Before that happened, you're sick? Get away from me. Nobody would help these people. Christians would sit at their bedsides and nurse them back to health. Or if they didn't, sometimes the Christian got sick and died too. Would put their own lives at risk to help others. That didn't happen before Christianity. And, we, and it's hard for us to fathom. We think, oh, sure they did. Because that just seems so logical. Why not help the sick? That didn't happen at all. Until we actually came and said, no, do this. Stop killing your babies. Stop, stop pushing away sick people who need you. The poor didn't care about them. That's why agape meant charity. And that was like, if you felt like, oh, the beggar, oh, I, got, I got an extra coin. That's it. Whatever. Maybe. And so agape was not very much used. And then Christ comes and says, no, this is the most important love there is. That's laying down your life. You know, person sitting at the bedside of a sick person, somebody with a plague, and they might die themselves. How, what, what better example of laying down your life for someone else? And that's what Christ was saying. I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the sins of the world. Now you follow my examples for at least dying for your loved ones, dying for your friends, and dying for your enemies too. I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. So walk in love as Christ loved us. Don't just walk in. I love everybody. Is it the flower? You know, it's not. It's I love you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. But immorality, the darkness that's in us, or any impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness or silly talk. Now that's really hard to do. Or coarse jesting. 
which are not fitting. So that's like Paul saying your thoughts even have to be clean. Remember, in God is light. In him there is no darkness. There's no flaw. There's no spot. There's no blemish. That means in order for us to imitate him, we have to have no blemish. That means even your little impure thought. Well, I didn't act on it, so that doesn't count. It was there. The spot and blemish was there. Now, this is an impossible task because we are fallen people. Even as saved Christians, we are still fallen. As John says further on in his first letter, he says, if we say we have no sin, we are liars. And the, and the truth is not in us. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man, covetous, covetous man, that means you thought about it, even if you didn't act on it, you wanted something that wasn't yours. You sinned against somebody else. No impure or covetous man who is an idolater, and I said that before, we're all idolaters, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because what the world's going to tell us. What is the world going to tell us? The world is going to tell us, God doesn't care about that. If you know God is light, you realize, oh, he does care about that. Oh, oh, this is really important to him, because he is light. He can't have anything impure in his presence. But the world will say, oh, God, you know, don't let things slide. And that wouldn't be justice. Justice, pure, perfect justice, dictates that all evil gets its comeuppance. Can't have it. So the world lies to us when it says that God will just turn the other way. That would be a corrupt judge. That would mean that God had darkness. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do we do this when we have darkness? Christ's imputed righteousness to us. Christ died took our sins upon him. He then imputed his righteousness to us. We're still sinful. I've used this description. Here I am, wearing, my, wearing Christ's righteousness. But look, underneath is black. My sin. This is Christ's imputed righteousness. I'm still a sinful person. But now... The righteousness of Christ, God can accept in his presence because it's pure righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is pure righteousness, pure, clean, without spot or blemish. I, through faith, am in Christ, like Noah and his family in the ark. I'm hidden in Christ. God the Father can't see me. He could, but he's, he's not. He's wishing not to see me. He has his son. So the, the covenant that God makes 
with salvation, the covenant of salvation, is with his son. He saves his son from death. He showed us. Comes from, comes from the grave. We celebrate that on Easter. He rises again because he has a covenant with the Father. A pure and righteous man will not die. He will be saved. Only him. We are not righteous. But if I have faith in Christ, I am in Christ. And I get snuck in, smuggled in, so to speak. So the covenant is this between the Father and the Son. He's the only one that deserves to be saved because he is a pure, righteous man without spot or blemish. He did not sin. I'm a simple person, so I can, by faith, be in him. And then I am allowed into the presence of the Father. Now, remember those devils I was telling you about? The devils that are just happy to step into the role? This good news that I just shared with you, this, these great words about, hey, faith in Christ, if you truly believe with all your heart that Christ was God, and that he rose from the dead, and that if I have my faith in him, if I truly believe that with all my heart, I'm in. I can have a relationship with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I will live forever, eternal life. That good news, those devils are really happy to claw that up. And they have the whole world that's on their side that will help do that. And that's why the gospel is veiled. There's a, there's a black cloth over it. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that gospel that I share with you is veiled to the world. And what happens is God, the Holy Spirit, will reveal it to you. That's the special revelation. You find that special revelation here. The world can go outside too. But the gospel is veiled. They'll get close. They'll go, okay, I could probably figure out. But even then, they'll cloud it up. They'll, that, they'll cover natural revelation up. You've seen that, right? Natural revelation is just as veiled to a lot of people as special revelation. Special revelation is veiled intentionally so that we can find Christ in these pages. Natural revelation, because of if you want to call it the enlightenment, you want to call it modern thinking, you want to call it people who just stopped believing and got in control of our educational institutions and spread it like a virus. Natural revelation then has veiled, is, is veiled by the world. That's why somebody like a friend of mine can go out to the Grand Canyon instead of thinking, there's no way this could have happened without God. He'll say, this is Nothing. He used to tell me, my friend, I look at the Grand Canyon and I think, oh, we'll all be dead in a hundred years. 
At least the Grand Canyon will stay here. We'll all be gone. Even natural revelation is veiled. Now, the gospel reading that I read to you, Jesus speaks to his apostles. Or, no, he's speaking to his disciples. This is before the upper room. And he says, For a little while longer the light is among you. He's talking about himself. Because he's God. He is light. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. Follow me. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light. Put your faith in me so that you may become sons of light. Children of light. Now that's for those people because he was physically walking among them. But it's also for us because even though Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and he's not physically walking among us, he is here. So for them, this wasn't written yet. The New Testament wasn't written yet. So they had Jesus in the flesh and he's saying, put your faith in me while I stand here because when I go away, here comes the darkness and it's going the world and the devil and the flesh, and they're going to try to rip you away. So make sure you've established your faith in me now. With us, all we have to do is open this, and we see Christ. We see what he did, we see what he thought, we see what he says, we see the words of God, even, mine isn't a red letter edition, but even the non-red letters, the black letters, they're the word of God too. God spoke those words as well. Everything you need to know about God for salvation is in these pages. You have the light. For those people, at the time of Christ, they had Christ for a little while. And then they had to listen to preaching of, of Peter and Paul and James and all, and all of the people who preached and Jude, and Jude. But we have that continually. We have the continual light right here with us. We live in a day and an age where we can, we can know Christ and we can see the light perfectly. And we know that he died and he rose again. He died for our sins. He rose again for our justification. And that is such good news that we should never, never be afraid of the darkness. Amen.